0: Today's scripture reading comes from Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 to 21. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand the will of the Lord. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another, in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. Thanks, Sam. You could turn this way down. Okay, I'm good? Okay. Um, well, good morning again, everybody. I know Josh said it a few times, uh, but my name's Sean. I, I'm the lead pastor, teaching pastor here for Redemption Peoria, and uh, we're in the book of Ephesians. Now, before we get there, if you've been here enough, you've heard um, what I just said. Uh, I don't know, a thousand times, and you heard usually at the same time what we'll always add is that Redemption Church is one church with ten different congregations. Well, this morning, um, I want to explain how that's going to change, and it's, it's not bad at all, no sin, I'll explain all of that stuff. We're going to go from ten congregations to nine congregations. Now, um, Here's what's happening. Essentially, each congregation being elder led and lead pastor led has freedom as we process churches together. We really believe that at Redemption Peoria, I'm the lead pastor and the elders, and at any point we would go, hey, listen, we feel like it's better for us being in the West Valley to kind of do our own thing for the purposes of mission. And uh, Redemption Scottsdale feels like that's where they're at right now. I promise, I'm not a dude to put spin on it. That's why I'm saying it the way that it is. It's good. We're going to actually pray for them to flourish. Um, It's honestly, it's all. All all good. But he feels like, and the leaders there feel like, they're in a place where they can um, reach a certain demographic of people that they couldn't um, with being a part of redemption. And they have their reasons, and they're thoughtful, and Sean's a pretty intentional guy. Um, What we're going to do, as you'll see on all the social media stuff and our website, we'll post a letter written from the lead team of redemption. So the board, if you will, or the lead team that makes up um, all of Redemption Church is made up of all of the lead pastors from each congregation. And so what we did is we wrote a letter that will be sent out to all of redemption. So again i promise as someone who was on a five-month leave of absence last year like trust me i'm not putting spin on this thing everything's fine um they're just in a place where they feel like they can do ministry well in another way and that's cool knowing sean it feels like it lines up with his heart really well so i want to pray for them real quick pray for pray for our time and then we'll jump right into ephesians 5 father thanks so much for who you are thanks for um the beauty that is your bride um, not just in our own city, but our own state and, and country and world. And so uh, here in the Valley, uh, we would lift up um, Sean and his team as Redemption Scottsdale um, wants to uh, venture into areas and reach people that they feel like they can do um, apart from being a part of Redemption Church, and we're grateful that your kingdom is not Redemption Church. It's not about Redemption Church, but we get to join in with what you're doing. And so there is a beautiful, eclectic body spread across that has Redemption part of it, and some, many not, and there's different views and ideas, and it's just, it's so good to see what you're doing in our cities here um, in Arizona. So we pray that you would bless and have Redemption Scottsdale flourish, that you'd be with them. Um, thanks for their heart and their desire with months and years of conversation and wanting to be able to do what they're doing here. So thank you for them. Uh, We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. So... Um, If you have any questions, again, feel free to ask me afterwards. Um, I'll be out in the lobby. Again, you can see the letter that we're going to send out as well. So um, we're in the book of Ephesians. I just said that. But here's what you may not know if you are new. If you're just coming uh, to Redemption Church, and maybe, you know, whether it be you're just coming because of college or moving here because it's not, you know, 140 degrees out. Well, it's still 140 degrees out, but it's starting to cool down. Um, whatever the reason, you're catching the tail end of the movie here, honestly. So it might be a little bit of confusing uh, as we process this together. But I want to just kind of put in a nutshell where we are. So this is what I've said the last probably two months as we've done this. The first half of the book of Ephesians is strong doctrine. It's theology. It tends to even be a little heady and lofty at moments. The back half of Ephesians, what it's doing is it's taking that doctrine... And it's giving the implications of that doctrine. Here's how you live out this proper doctrine. And as lofty as Ephesians 1, 2, and 3 can be, I mean, narrow and specific Ephesians 4, 5, and 6 is. We've talked about anger. We've talked about lying. We've talked about sealing. have talked about sexual morality. And so... The, the intentionality of what we've been trying to do is a word that I want to put in front of you. And here's actually where I want to start before we even get to our text, because I think it's important to understand. The unfortunate nature of what we've been talking about, about putting our uh, this way of life off and now taking on the life of Christ, in the last hundred years has been missed a little bit. What has happened in the church, specifically in the West, is we've taken on a Platonic view of sin. When I say Platonic view, what I mean is the way that Plato viewed the world, uh, which is all within Western philosophy, it's in our education system, Plato has influenced America heavily, and we don't even know it at times. But the way that he had viewed the world is there are spiritual things that are the real things, and then there are physical things. And those are kind of correlated to the ultimate spiritual things. And so there's this dichotomy that Plato created in his mind. And what we've done in the church is we've taken a lot of spirituality, but specifically sin, and categorized it like Plato. Meaning, it's almost like we talk about sin where you can say, hey listen, uh, you can either have a good life now, or you can have a good life for eternity. It's up to you. It's up to you. What what do you want? Do you you want a good life now or do you want a good life for eternity? And we use language like, um, man, I want to, but I shouldn't. I I want to, but I can't. And what we miss is the reprieve that sin gives us is met with hollowness. And what I mean by that is, yes and amen, there are spiritual demonic forces that are involved with sin. Yes, it could affect eternal destiny. Yes and amen to all of that. But just as equally as true is when you choose to enter into sin, you cease to be human a little more. You stop... you're human flourishing, the way that God has wired you, the way that God has designed you. And though sin never quenches your thirst, it, it lets you forget you're thirsty. With an ever-diminishing return, of course. And so what Ephesians has been doing is identifying the fact that, yes, sin is eternal. It is spiritual. Yes and amen to that. But there are now effects to that. There are hollowing effects to that. And we need to recognize that because here's the truth. God has designed sex. He has designed emotion. He has designed money. He has designed parenting, etc., etc., etc. to be a certain way. His ideas, his ways that he's laying out in Ephesians 4, 5, and 6 are important because they are, here's the word that I think is really important for us to understand, they are the ways of wisdom. God has given us wise ways to live. And when we live outside of that, what we get is up to the point where we've been so far. So let me read uh, verse 15 and 16. That'll explain a little bit why I'm bringing this up now. And then, um, and then we'll, we're going to play some of this out because we, we got a lot of text to cover. Verse 15 says this, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Now look at verse 15. You can see it there. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. When you read, look carefully then, that then is going because I just talked about something. And the something he just talked about was last week was that there is a way... A philosophy, a false gospel, and a people—you hear that? A people of darkness. There is a path that is darkness. Now, there is not a gray area, but like a Sith, Jesus only deals with absolutes. So, on this side, still a little Star Wars reference. Anybody? No. Okay, that's terrible. That's really disheartening to know. Um, so, so on the other side, what we have here on this side is there are philosophies, there is a gospel, and a people of light. And because that's true, be wise. Walk in wisdom. Don't walk in this path. Check it out, because the day's short. And these days are evil. Your life is a mist. And so what Ephesians is putting in front of us is reminding us of these paths, reminding us of these philosophies, and saying be wise about it. And it's been putting in front. I mean, here's here's the truth. So, um, my three oldest, ten uh, uh, year old, eight year old, and, and now five year old Eve, they're uh, in kindergarten, and they've been going to um, a school for the last couple of years that we love, and we put them in this same year. Well, this school got a new building this year, and in uh, and getting a new building, it's awesome. It's a beautiful building, really cool. Well, it's right off a of camelback, and here's the problem with it. Um, being a ride off a of Camelback, there's more students. Um, there, there's been a problem, and we've only had three days of school so far. But the first day of school, when we went to go pick up our kids, it took two hours to pick up our kids, okay? So Candace goes—I wasn't there, luckily, because I'd lose my mind. Um, but um, on Friday—so Candace does this on Wednesday and Thursday. And on Friday, um, I go, okay, you know what? I'm going to go pick up the kids. I'm going to figure this out, right? So I go there, and I go, I'm not getting in that line. I'm going to go park, there's like a little steel mill next to it. I get uh, go park over there, and I walk into the office, and I want my kids, okay? I'm not waiting in your crazy line. I'm super angry. Now, here's what's interesting, okay? What we were told is the way of wisdom, the way of light is that you will be angry, okay? That's what Ephesians said, that be angry, and then there's a, but do not sin. You'll be angry, Life is going to happen. Genesis 3 occurred. Life is broken. Sin is here. You're going to be angry. That will happen. But don't sin. That's the wise way of life. So Sean walks into the office angry, and Sean sins, okay? So I go into the office, and I don't say anything definitively rude, Um. But I'm just snarky. I'm just super angry. Me and 25 other people are frustrated by the process. I'm not waiting in your stupid line for an hour. There's one lady specifically, the office manager, and I'm just like, I just, just in such a jerk way. So you're telling me I can't have my kids. i got to wait for an hour to have my kids. Sir, if you want to get in line. Okay, that's fine. But you're telling me I can't have my kids. I want my kids right now, and you're telling me. I just was like, if I could see myself... And unfortunately, there's a lot of people and teachers who go uh, to our church, who are teachers at that school, to like, hey, that's your pastor? Like, no, 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 I don't go there. I don't know what that—like that, right? So I'm just—now here's what happened. I walk away, right, Um, and I knew immediately that was not the way of wisdom— like, here, and this is what's interesting. I knew what I did was wrong. Now, how can I know that? That means there's a right way and a wrong way. And I acted in the wrong way. So, of course, I write this long apology specifically to her, telling her I'm an idiot and I'm sorry and, and all this stuff. At the end, I, I'm sorry. I hope our next interaction is I'm not a jerk. And I had to repent. I had to cover up or um, put before her and eat the fact that I did something wrong. You want to know why? Because there's a right way to do it. And Jesus is trying to form me into his image to do things the right way. But I chose to buy into the world's philosophy. Because if there's a broken system, you want something done, take care of it. I mean, throw around your bravado like it's about me. It's about my, forget the other 600 students, my kids, right now, I want them. But that's the world's philosophy. See, I I bought into the, the way of darkness. And hear me, it was bad for everyone. It was bad for everyone. And so this is why I want to read now 17 with verses 15 and 16. It says this, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, which is exactly what I was. Do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So let's stop there because finally we get to get to that word that I was talking about. And we've been touching on it up to these these points, but what Ephesians and the New Testament and the gospel of Jesus Christ is doing over and over and over is trying to form us. It's trying to form us. Form us into the way of wisdom. So let me show you something, why I think uh, verse 17 is important. I want to show you this little diagram that we have here. Uh, It's a picture of us and then uh, these two uh, circles going in opposite ways. So I didn't come up with this. Brian Berger uh, came up with this, and I found it extremely helpful as processing where we are and why this is important to where we're going. So um, what you have is you have yourself, right? And so here you are. Let's just look on the circle um, over here to the right. You have yourself, and you choose to interact with God. Okay, And that means in the community of faith, maybe you're in an RC, you study the Bible, you pray, you maybe try to memorize some scripture, maybe you fast lunch once a week. You choose to interact with God. That, that is your choice. To, and in that moment, you're choosing to, to be formed by something. Now, here's how this works. In choosing to, be interacted, to interact with God, inevitably what happens is you're asking to be controlled or laying your life down to follow someone, right? And this is the Holy Spirit's leading. That in that moment, as you choose to interact with God, you inevitably want to go, man, I want to walk into that office and tell them the way that pick up and drop off should go. That's what I want to do, but more than anything, I want to be controlled by the Spirit. And so if I want to follow God, and, and, and I interact with His people and His Word, that lends its hand to lead me to being controlled by the Spirit. And always, 100% of the time, never fail. Scripture, life outside of Scripture, whatever it is, you will always find the Holy Spirit will point you to Jesus. That's how you know you are truly interacting with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will remind you of the things that Jesus said, according to John 14, 26. He will always encourage you to press into the grace of God, to be rebuked by what you've done in your sin because of the cross of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit will press you into being formed into the image of Christ so that you would gaze at who Jesus is. Now, this is important. Then, in turn, you begin to imitate that. Now, this is an ever-ongoing circle. I I I need you to understand that. When you choose to interact with the people of God, when you choose to read your Bible— When you choose to worship together, when you choose to sing together, when you choose to read, memorize, pray. As you're being led by the Holy Spirit, you constantly see who Jesus is, and you constantly become more and more like him. Now, this is why this is important. I'm showing my cards early. What's going to happen from this point is we're going to get two commands in our entire, entire passage. It's going to look like there are six commands, but actually there are only two commands here in Greek, and then there's something called participles, which are um, underlining things that connect to those commands. here's—I'll explain that in a second, but here's why this is important. Just as equally as this is true, the opposite is just as true. If you choose, so take it, check this a, a clear example. I've shared with you guys before. I was 18 years old, um, following Jesus, and I felt like, man, I really need to stop listening to R. Kelly. Some of you don't even know who R. Kelly is. But I need to stop listening to R. Kelly because it gave me thoughts about women I just knew I shouldn't have as a believer. Okay? And so I, I, I at that moment, I recognized as a believer, I was engaging, interacting with the world. I was choosing to interact with the world. And what the world does is we have essentially as First Thessalonians would tell us there's a, a spirit of darkness, or there are things that wage war against our soul, according to First Peter four, that there is a spirit of this age a counter philosophy, a counter gospel, everything we've been talking about up to this point. And what that does, if you choose to continue to interact with that world and not interact with the world of God, inevitably you start to set your gaze on the icons, the influencers, people that you want to be like that are in the top areas, maybe areas of greed, who have all the money. You're looking at following someone and wanting to be like that person who's making a million dollars a year. Inevitably, I promise you, I mean, just is just science here. You spend time with that person long enough and desire to be them long enough. You yourself are going to want to make the million a year. Now, I'm not saying making a million a year, but when your life, if that's wrong, but when your life is wrapped around that, you've engaged with the world, you're being shaped by the world in such a way you've bought into the spirit of the world, and you've looked at their icons, and it's true across the board. Whoever you look, you want to be like, and this is what the spirit of this age is doing. It's changing our gaze away from Jesus towards someone or something else. And we're being formed. We're being formed. Every time we jump on Instagram, every time we choose not to read our Bible, engage with God, and we choose to spend the hour on Facebook, we're being formed. We are engaging with something. There is no middle ground. And what I want to talk about today, I think what Ephesians is going to press us into, is what it means to be formed. How do we process what it means to be formed? So here's the two commands, and then we're going to lay it out. Verse 18 says this, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, what, what I think Paul's going to do is super legit, I mean, and kind of like ninja-like. What he's going to do is here, he's going to create um, this dichotomy, okay? This juxtaposition that you have, ultimately, he's going to put, don't get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. And that's going to be important because um, being filled with the Spirit in a lot of different ways is Paul's way of combating being drunk with wine. So let's read it again. This is what it says, and let me break this down for us, and hopefully it makes sense. These are the only two commands. Everything from this point is going to connect to these two commands. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. I try to think of a cool way that I can explain not getting drunk with wine, but this is the best way I can say it. Don't get drunk with wine. Okay? Don't get drunk with wine. Now... What's interesting is the next word that we don't use that often is debauchery. Not very often do we just throw around the word debauchery. Um, but here's what's interesting about the word debauchery. It's two Greek words, a-sozo. The, the, the root word for sozo is where we get our word salvation from. And a just means counter to. So essentially what it means is not salvation. So don't get drunk with wine because that's not salvation. And if you have an old school Bible, the King James Version, it actually says, for that is uh, excess. What I think Paul's communicating here, and this this is a mind game like in general for me. This is true of all sin, but we can see it here in alcohol, clear as day. What you've done is you've taken a gift of God and you've enjoyed it to the point where it can't be enjoyed anymore. Meaning, it's in excess, it's outside now of that salvation. So I'll give you an example. Jesus returns, he's going to call sex good. He's not looking down and going, everyone's fornicators. Married people, they're all fornicators, this is disgusting. He's going to look at sex and he's go, that's good, this is a good thing. But there's a distortion of sex pornography that is not savable. It's not redeemable. It's not meant to be saved. It's asozo. It's debauchery. It's counter to what sex was made for. And when you take alcohol, he's going to look at alcohol. He made fermentation. He made the process. And he's going to go, alcohol is good. It's redeemable. You can glorify God with it. But when you drink it in excess, when you take too much of it, it then becomes counter to what it's made for. It's anti-salvation. It's not savable. Jesus isn't going to return and go. Yeah, we can figure out being how being drunk is okay. That's not going to happen. It's a distortion of alcohol. And so he now what Paul's going to do is he's going to take that idea and he's going to say so. Think of all the ways you can think about about getting drunk. So in, usually when you get drunk, most likely you're with somebody. Usually not always, right? You're. Man, you you either become belligerent or really happy or your mood changes. All self-control goes out the window. And what inevitably happens is maybe you become happy, you start singing, whatever it is. I have no idea. Okay? But but you lose this control. And what Paul's going to do is he's going to take this idea and he's going to say in the same way, you're looking for joy, you're looking for happiness in something that is asozo, past salvation, something that's not made for, you're taking a distortion and trying to find joy. Actually, what you're looking for in alcohol can be found in being filled with the Spirit. Let me read something from uh, a guy named Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. I love this. Um, He was a physician, but also a preacher, and he wrote more on Ephesians than anybody I know of. He's preached more sermons on Ephesians, and what he said about this, what Paul is doing in creating this juxtaposition, I promise it's going to make sense as we get um, into the, the participles. Listen to what he says. Wine or alcohol, first and foremost, affects the highest centers in the brain. They control everything that gives a man self-control, wisdom, understanding, discrimination, judgment, balance, the power to assess everything. In other words, everything that makes a man behave at his very best and highest. What the Holy Spirit does, however, is the exact opposite. If it were possible to put the Holy Spirit into a textbook a pharmacology, uh, Uh, pharmacology, which he was a physician and a pastor, Um, I would put him under the stimulants category, for that is where he belongs. He really does stimulate. He stimulates our every faculty, the mind, the intellect, the heart, and the will. So you're looking to inebriate yourself and quench your thirst, but it only lets you forget you're thirsty as you get drunk, what Paul is saying, the way of wisdom is actually being filled with the Holy Spirit, that's a true fulfillment of what you're looking for. So his his command to us as being followers of Jesus Christ, walking in the way of wisdom, not walking in darkness, but walking in light, hear me, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. And of course, this we have to explain. Now, before we do, um, I want to say that as we're going to go through this, verses 19 and 20 um, and 21, are going to explain what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit and are also a response to being filled with the Holy Spirit. But before we do, um, I just want to make a quick statement, just kind of a side thing. Um, And this is probably because I spent 12 years in the charismatic world and I got saved in the charismatic world. Some of you might not have any clue, but I think it's worth saying. Um, When I read, even to this day, language like being filled with the Holy Spirit or baptism in the Holy Spirit... um, I've had to think so deeply on those words that I see some of my charismatic tradition, um, and I can't help but just, I want to say this, I do not think it's the way that they would define being filled with the Holy Spirit is. Like, and I love the tradition that I came from, but when we process being filled with the Holy Spirit, what you find in those worlds is eventually a loss of control. Meaning, um, and, and I'm not just saying this as an onlooker, as someone who's experienced what I'm about to describe, shaking violently, saying things out loud randomly, um, having the, the spirit of laughter. And, and what happens is, essentially, I, I um, myself, and, and I think people in that tradition, as I've have experienced that, um, would say they're being filled with the spirits, but they look closer. And this is just my opinion. If you ever look into something called the Kundalini cults, um, it's far closer to something more demonic that, that isn't being filled with the Spirit. Honestly, and that's just, and, I, and I'm sure you have a million questions about that, but that is not how I would process being filled with the Holy Spirit. As a matter of fact, Dionysius was a philosopher who thought alcohol was a mode of inspiration. And I think sometimes we treat the Holy Spirit in the same way that, um, that alcohol, this, we, the, in the same, we'd have the same effects that alcohol has on us to the point where I know people, and you can look these videos up who would literally say they're drunk in the Spirit, and you can watch a 45-minute sermon where a man goes, Amen, Abba, Abba, and he's acting like he's drunk, where they'll take their Bibles to open it up, and they'll say, we're just taking, we're snorting the Holy Spirit, and they'll pretend to do lines on the Bible, but they're snorting. And hear me, I'm not making this up. I'm not making this up. To me, to me, as I watch that movement go, It looks far more like the Kundalini cult, which by the way, their symbol is a serpent, the Kundalini cult, than it does the Holy Spirit. Now, you may totally disagree, and I am open to have the conversation, but being in that world and leading in that world, I've seen enough to know when I read being filled with the Holy Spirit, and I think power, let me tell you something, power is being faithful to your wife for 60 years. That's power. You understand? Now, Now, I'm not saying there's not healing I'm not saying there's not gifts of discernment. That's all true. Yes and amen, okay? But we tend to make the spirit far too spiritual as if he's not naturally supernatural, as if we don't see him continuing to engage our everyday life. And so what I want to put in front of us now is what I believe verses 19, 20, and 21 give us is how we can be filled with the Holy Spirit. Hear me. My hope is that you'd hear the command to be filled with the Holy Spirit and you would know the command to be filled with the Holy Spirit is so that you would be formed in the image of Jesus Christ. And so let me read 19, 20, and 21. Says this addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Here's what we're going to do um, we're going to spend the rest of our time on verses 19 and 20. 21 is, in my opinion, A participle that is attached to the command. It's a it's a connection to what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. But we're not going to cover it today because that command in submitting to the Holy or uh, submitting to one another, or that command of being filled with the Holy Spirit and the participle of uh, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ actually gets explained by the rest of the chapter. Meaning, be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's the command. How can we be filled with the Holy Spirit? We submit to one another out of reverence of Christ. Well, man, what does it mean to submit to one another out of reverence of Christ? Cool. Let me explain. Husbands, wives, workers, employees, managers, children, parents... It's going to define that. And so for the rest of our time in the chapter, we'll define what verse 21 is. So I'm not going to define what it is today. We're going to set our time in verses 19 and 20, which again, I will read, addressing one another in Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So if you've been here long enough, you know I would take these verses and I would go this word, this word, this word, this word. I'm not going to do that. I think the best way to understand these two words is I want to give you five things that we can see in this text that are intentionally placed for us to be formed. So hear me, if you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit and be formed into the image of God, this is one of, not the only, one of the ways that God has given us, okay? A way that we can interact with God. So there's five things that I see in verses 19 and 20. The first one is we need to worship in singing, okay? Okay. Now, you're going to see the correlation between when you're drunk, you can go to a bar in St. Patrick's Day and everyone's singing, right? So in the same way, what true singing is, is through the means of worship to God. Now, we, we have to say something about this. And I was trying to unpack this in first service. Music's bizarre. Can we just all agree upon that? Like, there's something crazy about music that we can't even explain. And I read a book called This Is Your Brain on Music a couple years ago, and I've read countless articles where scientists are trying to understand that music has helped like people with mental dissonance, mental disorders. It's been proven to help you study. Matter of fact, there's a crazy article um, that talks about how music helps plants grow. Right? And so you're sitting there going, what is this stuff? The fact that my two-year-old daughter, a year ago, one years old, has never seen anyone twerk. Never. She's never watched it on TV, ever. So we put on Taylor Swift's Shake It Off. Whether you like that or not, it is what it is. We put it on, and she starts getting down. <laughs> now, hear me. Now, what's crazy is a lot of my African friends, being at African weddings or wherever, celebrations, that's a huge dance. that. But she's never seen them dance like that, ever, ever. She's, <laughs> Candace has never twerked. I've never twerked. That's that. It never happened, Okay? But here's Anna, hears a melody, and somehow knows to dance. Where does that come from? That's crazy. I mean, that's so bizarre to me. So let me read a quote from this, This so you can see the power of music and why this is important. Um, this is from uh, Daniel uh, Ledevum, he's the one who wrote This is Your uh, Brain on Music. Weddings, funerals, graduations, men marching off to war, stadium sporting events, a night on the town, prayer, a romantic dinner, mothers rocking their infants to sleep, college students studying with music as a background. Music is and was and has always been part of the fabric of everyday life. Only relatively recently in our culture, 500 years or so ago, did a distinction arise that cut society into two, forming separate classes of music performers, And music listeners. But throughout most of the world and for most of history, human history, music making was a natural and active, is as natural and active as breathing and walking. And everyone participated. Understanding why we like music and what draws us, this is not a believer, understanding why we like music and what draws us to it is therefore a window on the essence of human nature. There's just something bizarre about music. Now stop. The world can only know half of what we're talking about now. They may have even better musicians than us, but hear me. They can only truly appreciate the depths of what music is half. Because they don't know, they don't understand, and they don't believe that the one who created music and the one who created them loves music. And made them in his image. Like, listen, this is... so let me read something. I remember being blown away by this because music is such a part of Scripture. Like 400 times the Scripture, as it mentioned, 50 times are we as the people of God commanded to sing. And we want to be formed in the image of God. Here we are told that being filled with the Holy Spirit, a part of being filled with the Holy Spirit, is singing. Worship and singing. And we see this in Zephaniah 2.17. Listen to this. This is describing God. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. God will. He will exalt over you with loud singing. God's a singer. He's a singer. I mean, this is, he will exalt over you with loud singing. I mean, every major thing, whether you're a believer or not, that you know of an account in the Bible, whether it's Exodus or David and Goliath, is always followed by or in the midst of singing. Right after the Exodus, Miriam leads the women to lead the people of God in worship. Right after David kills Goliath, the people shout in song, Saul has killed his thousands, David is ten thousands. A little morbid, but it's a song nonetheless. Jesus, on his way to the cross, stops with his disciples and, I quote, sings a hymn. I mean, here we are in Scripture told over and over and over. The largest book in the Bible we trust as authority is a book of songs. If you want to be formed and interact with God, you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, hear me, worship and singing. Sing. Which leads to the second point. Um, it's not worship and singing by yourself. But, and I quote, let's go back to the text, addressing one another in. That when we sing, we are worshiping together. Together. Now, this becomes crazy powerful because um, I think there are moments in your car where you worship and God moves. But what we miss is this addressing is not like a, hey, Psalm 19, hey. No, addressing is talk towards. So in worship, this this is bizarre. We are worshiping God together for one another. So there's a moment, right? Like this is... When we hear, all glory be to Christ our King, all glory be to Christ. And I sing it, and I'm from the southern hemisphere of the room in first service. I have like 10 people look behind me, because I know I sing loud. They're looking back. But I'm trying to tell you, there are moments where you forget that all glory needs to be to Him. And in the moments when we sing together... Should nothing of our efforts stand, no legacy survive. Like, I just, I want to like look at you and go, man, you've bought into your own legacy, haven't you? Let me remind you that your legacy won't survive. Let me remind you what is true, what is lasting, that this world is empty, this world is hollow, and you want to be shaped, you want to be formed, then let's sing together. There's a song, I know we're singing it, um, the second song, um, okay, so, uh, okay, so the second song is Beautiful Scandalous Night, right, Josh? Okay, so listen to this. I was listen, I was singing this in first service. This is crazy. Okay, so li- who, who is this song talking to? Okay, go up to the mountain of mercy to the crimson perpetual tide. Kneel down on the shore, be thirsty no more, go under and be purified. Well, he's, we're not talking to God in that moment. We're not. We're not telling God to go up to the mountain of mercy to the crimson perpetual tide, kneel down on the shore, be thirsty no more. No, no, we're talking to each other. We're reminding each other in that moment. So listen, follow Christ to the holy mountain, sinners sorry and wrecked by the fall. Cleanse your heart and your soul in the fountain that flows for you and for me and for all. I'm leaving the songs out of order, Josh. So hear me, this is big. In that moment, we are worshiping and declaring the truth of God for each other. You wanna know why? Because we're addressing you one another. You want to be formed in the image of God. You've got to hear the people of God. You've got to hear them remind you to be purified by the blood of Jesus Christ. Remind them. Remind them of this because guess what? Some of them lost babies this week. Remind them. Some of them lost students this week. Remind them because some of them have been addicted to porn for 20 years and they feel like they're never going to get out. Remind them where their security is. As we sing and our voices raise, this is how God brings people's voices together in the Old Testament to knock down walls. Do you hear this, if you want to be formed into the image of Christ by being filled with the Holy Spirit, sing together. Which leads to the third thing. I think it's important that we notice the next lines of that as we dress one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. I think there's two things from this. Um, I wouldn't get tripped up on the psalms, hymns, and spiritual psalms. Essentially, psalms is a reference to what I would argue the Psalter in the uh, Old Testament. Hymns, just by pure definition, is simply a poem put to rhythm. It's just melody. And spiritual songs is, and I try to think of a cool way to say this, it's just songs that are spiritual, okay? Um, and, and, and every commentary and every commentator that I read on this, you kind of trip over trying to find ways, defining, to separate these categories, and in the end go, no, all that we can know is God is calling his people to sing eclectic songs. Meaning... When 9-11 took place, the church didn't know what to do. You don't know why the church didn't know what to do? Because we've only sung Jesus is my boyfriend. We only sung big, triumphant songs. We never learned how to lament. And so we didn't have an eclectic array of of songs so that when something happened and the churches were full because they didn't know where to go, we only had songs of rejoicing. We didn't know how to go God. We're scared. And so hear this. Sing, sing. Or worship God in singing together with eclectic songs. But this is huge. Look at verse 20. That are about God. That are about God. Listen to Piper. I think John Piper nails this about the eclectic way and our our, um, push towards God. He says this. God is infinitely varied in his beauty. And he relates to us in profoundly and wonderfully different ways. If you experience God in the death of your four daughters and your wife, in the sinking of a ship, you may write... It is well with my soul. If you are overwhelmed with the truth of the incarnation at Christmas time, you may write joy to the world. If God meets you simply and quietly in your prayer closet, you may write, Father, I adore you, lay my life down before you. If you are stunned at the marvel that you are saved, you may write amazing grace, how sweet the sound. If you are a parent longing to teach your children profound things in simple ways, you may write, Jesus loves me, this I know for the Bible tells me so. He has given us this array of songs to point back towards him. You wanna know why? Because preaching isn't gonna get it done, homie. Your community conversations isn't gonna get it done. He has given us the gift of music and the singing of one another to be able to communicate something that otherwise we feel like our heart is blocked. And so we sing, and we sing songs to God, about God, for God, to remind his people of who God is. This was a huge issue early in the church. Augustine struggled a lot because he saw the power of music. He was an early church father. He saw the power of music, and he thought it took away from the word. Matter of fact, um, Zwingli, who was a pastor in Switzerland in the 1600s, he was a kind of an overseer of a five or six different churches, removed worship altogether in the churches because he was afraid of that. He was afraid that worship took away from uh, what the word was saying. And, and let me just say this. This passage that we're reading appears in the same exact way almost, but adds a little something up front in Colossians. Listen to Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, or, uh, richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to Christ. How did that start? You ready? Listen to it. Let the word of Christ dwell in you Richly, We worship, we sing together in addressing one another so that the word of Christ would dwell richly within us. Uh, two crazy quotes on this. So there's a guy named Gordon Fee. He says this, show me a church's songs and I will show you their theology. Mark Knoll says, he puts, I think, awesome. He says, we are what we sing. And this is tough, I get it, because there's this crazy dichotomy, if we can just be honest, in the Western church where we feel like it's either really, really good worship, and we kind of just put up with the watered-down preaching, or it's really good preaching, solid biblical basis, but it feels like nobody here likes God. And so we're like we're stuck between this world of looking at the Bethels and the Hill Songs, and we're going. This is amazing. This is awesome. This is great, right? And yet you can walk into a small church where a man is teaching perfectly, dot and tittle, exegetically the, the Word of God, but worship is just terrible, just terrible. So, I, I, get, I get the rub, but hear me. Be careful because this passage is about what forms us. And if we continue to listen to songs that don't point us to Jesus, if we continue to listen to music that don't point us to Jesus, I don't know any other way to say it. You're going to be formed in that direction. You'll be formed by it. And so, I can listen, I'll listen to, to Bethel or listen to and there's things that I absolutely love. And there's moments where I go, well, I don't love that. Right? And I'm trying to recognize, and this is Josh and I argue about this, uh, um, uh, reckless love. Is Bethel the one who originally wrote it? I don't know. So like, I'm all about reckless love. Now the song in there, there, there's a a term, we're going way off, I'm already over time. Just, you can listen to the song. Um, So, so let me, my point is this, that inevitably for us to be formed in the image of who Christ is, um, being filled with the Holy Spirit, we are to worship in singing. That shapes you. Because when you don't go to church on Sunday, football will shape you. And believe me, I want to watch football. It will shape you. And so it's just the Sunday, but it's a little less being shaped together. And so we worship songs that are eclectic and centered around God. But hear me, words are not enough. And this is our fourth point. When I came to the Reformed community after spending so much time in the charismatic world, I looked at the charismatic world and this tension that I lived in, and I said, it feels like they like God a lot, and they love him an insane amount, but it's almost like they don't really know who they love. It felt like moments theologically, I didn't really know who they were worshiping and felt like themselves at times. That's my own thing. It's true in the Reformed community as well, but in worship, I saw that in spades. And then I came to the Reformed community, and it feels like, man, the people really, really loved God. I'm just looking around, and I don't think anybody likes him. Like, it's just quiet. We, I mean, we're four years into a church plant, we still don't know how to clap. We still haven't figured this thing out. And so, no, it's too late. It's done. <laughs> <So> we're committed. <laughs> So my, my point is this, my point is this, um, what Piper, I love how Piper says it, you can know truly, but you must also feel duly. The, the reality is that as you interact with scripture, Sproul would say that theology always births doxology. If you read the epistles enough, you'll see that Paul lays down some crazy doctrine. And right after, like stuff like Romans 9, 10, 11, and 12, and right after, you know what he goes into? Worship. He, he, amazing, beautiful, poetic. This is awesome. He can't help but hold himself back. And so we can have right doctrine, but hear me, here's what we're not doing. We're not making melody to the Lord with our heart. You know the doctrines, but hear me, are your affections stirred? You want to be filled with the Holy Spirit and formed into the image of Christ. Your affections need to be stirred. You need to make melody with your heart, which leads to the last thing. And then we're done giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, I think the last way that we can process in worship is that in everything, and this is why I think our worship songs need to be eclectic, in everything we give thanks to God. His sovereignty is such balm to my soul. Like to know that there are so many good things and gifts that God has given me, like so many good things. And there are moments also of deep, dark despair that have taken place and will take to play, take place. And I can only look at those things and go, God, in this moment, I trust you. I feel like I'm frustrated at you. And this is just the Psalms over and over, right? But in everything, we have gratitude. Hear me, he's in control. He's in control. And God, I trust you. We have gratitude. And that shapes you. That forms you because everyone will look at you and go, that is not the place you should be. But in having gratitude, you're training your heart and your mind and your relationships to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So two things I leave you with. If you are a believer in this room, hear me when I say everything you do, I'm not joking. That's not some pastor's exaggeration, TBN moment. Everything you do forms you. Everything. Everything. And when you choose to not interact with what Scripture tells you to interact with, you are being formed in areas of darkness, not light. So please hear me. Follow the command to be filled with the Spirit. But that leads to the last, the the, the other side. Maybe you're in here and you're not a believer. Can I just encourage and say this real quickly to you? If you haven't, you will soon know that the things you have been formed into will leave you empty. All these things have done, and and I'm just telling you speaking firsthand, is they've brought you to a place where you don't realize you're thirsty anymore. But you're still thirsty. You still need the water. You still need something of substance. And you're going to wake up one day and you're going to feel the hollowness that all these false promises have tried to give you. And so in recognizing, as we look, as believers, we look in the world, can see the beauty of us being formed in the image of Christ. That's a good display That's a display for them to watch and see. At the same time, you can know, if you're not a believer in here, it is true human flourishing. I don't think it's a dichotomy we have to walk in. I don't think it's just sin. It affects your eternity. And yes, we can Bible pound and I can explain to you that hell is inevitable and all that's true. But at the same time, let me tell you something. You will learn, if you haven't already, that inside you're dying. You're dying. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for who you are. Thanks for the goodness that is displayed in Ephesians chapter 5, that we're reminded that we're to walk wise. Lives where, man, we're so tempted in moments to walk in darkness, but I pray that we would be people of light that we would know and understand that our days are short and that these days are evil in which we live and they're calling us and beckoning us. So I pray for the believers in the room that they would not be foolish, but they would know what the will of the Lord is, that they would not walk in ways that are debauchery, anti-salvation, but they would walk in true salvation, being filled with the Holy Spirit, that we as a church would appreciate what it means to address one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, that we would give thanks to you, God, always and for everything in the name of Jesus Christ. And that is where we continue to leave our lives, to put at the forefront of our mind, the cross of Christ and the resurrection of Jesus Christ is good news for us. Let us not forget it. We love you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.